at an undisclosed location, somewhere far under the ground in the United States. A shadowy group of government officials and federal employees come up with a sinister plot to randomly unleash on a random group of people Morgulons, just to make them look crazy. And then, somehow, even though Washington, D.C. leaks like a sieve, and there's never been a secret in history of scale and consequence that wasn't eventually exposed, these evil geniuses managed to pull off an insane domestic bioterror program and human experiment on an unwitting uh, U.S. citizenry, in spite of the fact that it could also spread to their families and there would really be no advantageous reason for doing this. They did it anyway, and they all kept the secret. Hush, hush, hush. All of them. For the first time ever in history, crystal clear here, you're listening to more Morgulons. Because uh, when it comes to conspiracy theories, yes, there are sometimes uh, covert operations conducted by the uh, you know U.S. government uh, that are later revealed to the public. However, um, it's really hard for me to swallow about 99% of the conspiracy theories out there um, about anything, uh, including Morgulons. Although I will say, like, the way that the CDC, the government's response to uh, the Morgulons investigation has done nothing but foster uh, and uh, cultivate this sense, atmosphere of paranoia and suspicion um, amongst the, uh, I think, population at large and, of course, morgies. Um, You know, like, the whole thing about them partnering with uh, the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology on this study of Morgulons, I've gone back, and um, I I don't even remotely claim to have done a comprehensive, you know, investigative, uh, you know, research project on this, but just cursory searches. Uh, it doesn't seem like AFIP, the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, and CDC actually collaborate too often. Um, they did some stuff together on anthrax, you know, in response to the 9-11 anthrax attacks, if you will remember those. Um, they've done a few other uh, collaborative efforts uh, regarding education training programs for professionals. But, you know, in general, it's not a standard routine or typical thing for the CDC to partner with um, the armed forces. And that, as I've said before, the AFIP, that agency was uh, eliminated. It was dissolved in 2012 uh, or 11, rather, I think. Uh, But anyway, prior to the uh, publication of the CDC's research findings, it's just curious to me. What is that all about? And then, you know, there is some uh, credible investigative journalism regarding uh, the role that perhaps uh, the Department of Defense may have played in the uh, emergence of Lyme disease. Um, You know, the guy that discovered and named the pathogen responsible for Lyme disease, uh, Bergdorf Ferry, uh, the Borrelia Bergdorferi is named after him. Uh, 
it's a little odd, a little odd that um, he had, you know, worked with an investigative reporter who wrote a, a book called Bitten, B-I-T-T-E-N, um, that describes how he essentially collaborates with her on interviews and barely stops short of, uh, you know, straight out deathbed confession regarding his work for the Department of Defense at Fort Detrick uh, during that time period when Bergdorf Ferry and his colleagues were developing potential agents of bioterror uh, using arthropod vectors. The investigative journalist who wrote the book stopped short of, um, you know, declaring that she has found the smoking gun, but she does build a pretty strong and uh, compelling circumstantial case uh, for um, the involvement of Bergdorf Ferry's uh, work for the DOD leading to the emergence of Lyme. Perhaps through some irresponsible um, field experimentation in the United States around uh, Plum Island and Fort Detrick. So anyway, the fact that you keep finding the Borrelia in the wounds of Morgulon's patients um, in, you know, some, a lot of the research done over the past decade about Morgulon's keeps finding this correlation. One has to, because there really aren't any definitive answers, because this is so unusual, because the sort of um, stubborn resistance to even considering the possibility that Morgulon's is not a delusion by uh, institutions of the government, it just, again, there may be not much to it, but the attitude is odd and it invites uh, the type of speculative and suspicious um, conversations around the role of um, potential bioterror actors, whether they be uh, state-sponsored or otherwise, um, having something to do with the emergence of this very bizarre, very odd uh, Morgulon's disease. Um, I just, I'm too, way too preliminary in my understanding and research about uh, these uh, theories. Definitely not a conspiracy theorist. I personally tend to believe that people that buy into conspiracy theories do so for um, many psychological reasons, not uh, rational uh, reasons like we were talking about yesterday about logical fallacies. Uh, lots of uh, people who have supported conspiracy theories, their, their positions are supported by logical fallacies, not evidence. Um, cherry picking data, relying too heavily on one source or um, the burden of proof fallacy. Hey, you can't prove me wrong, so it must be true. No, don't think so, buddy. Or unsubstantiated uh, sources. So, yeah, probably the first place to start on that uh, journey, that, that line of investigation, which, quite honestly, I think every avenue of uh, inquiry regarding the etiology of this Morgulons should be explored. Is this one of them? I don't know. Um, today, I want to go through an article that was published last year in Wired Magazine. And um, it's kind of not, it's not about Morgulons at all, but it's, it's reviewing the current or then current uh, 
threat assessment about the use of bioterror in our society. I think this is such a relevant conversation, especially right now in the midst of the COVID apocalypse. Um, but yeah, so I really appreciate you tuning in, going on this journey of self-education, exploration with me. You may or may not agree with the way that um, I think about and see things, and I may not agree with you. However, I respect you, and I appreciate your uh, point of view and any new information you can provide me to inform my understanding of uh, this topic and any other. I have said it many times. I do not have fixed beliefs about anything uh, regarding Morgulons. Generally speaking, the only fixed belief I have is not a belief. It's an observation of uh, physical phenomena that I have witnessed um, regarding the symptoms of Morgulons and the presence of these very, 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 very strange uh, associated materials that emerge from or embedded in my skin and the skin of my two friends here in Atlanta who also contracted this Morgulons uh, earlier this summer. So um, I'm just keeping my mind open as possible when it comes to my uh, research journey to try to understand better what this thing is that I'm now living with and that perhaps you are also living with, and hang in there, hang in there, I know this sucks, the Morgulons thing sucks, y'all, um, my face right now today looks worse than it ever has since I got this Morgulons, um, it's pretty disturbing, um, however, I think I said this the other day, I will gladly lose my vanity to keep my sanity, y'all. So, um, beauty comes from within, and I am shining, I'm radiating, I am glowing, because I have all of this love, joy, and appreciation for another fantastic Monday, Monday of being alive, and being here, and talking to y'all, and hopefully listening to y'all if y'all want to talk to me. Okay. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is an article from Wired Magazine, and um, it is about bioterror. Bioterror theories about Morgulons have been um, tossed around like a hot uh, radioactive potato on the internet for years. And this morning I was reading um, a website about... Uh, Morgulons uh, on a website called truther.org which really they should change the name to falser.org because it's just full chock full of insane conspiracy theories written by a guy named David Chase Taylor a guy who seems to be uh, suffering from delusions of persecution and grandeur aka he thinks he is the messiah so not recommending this source as a credible one 
However, I did want to bring up the uh, topic of bioterror and what the actual threat is. I'm going to read to you guys an article from March 25th, 2019 by David Kushner. Synthetic biology could bring a pox on us all. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm just going to go through the highlight the points. New methods are making it easier than ever to produce life-saving vaccines and life-taking viruses that humanity is not prepared to fight. At around 11.30 a.m. on July 1st, 2014, a scientist from the Food and Drug Administration went inside room 3C16, a cold storage area at the National Institutes of Health Labs in Bethesda, Maryland. The FDA had been using the space since the early 90s to store samples for biological research, but had been cleaning it out in preparation for a move to a nearby campus in Silver Spring. The scientists who entered saw 12 mysterious cardboard boxes on a crowded shelf in the far left corner of the storage space and pried one open to see what it contained. Inside, dozens of long vials were packed in rolls of white cotton and sealed with melted glass. Many of the labels were worn to the point of illegibility. Uh, he, the scientist noticed on one vessel that held some loose freeze-dried material. Its label bore a single decipherable word, variola, another word for smallpox, a disease of the 19th century British historian Thomas Babington Macaulay deemed, quote, the most terrible of all the ministers of death. And it truly was, y'all. Smallpox killed like 500 million people in the, um, I think, 18th, 19th centuries. Uh, it's, it's terrible, terrible terrible virus. High fever and is prone to vomiting. A rash develops. The mouth and quickly spreads over the entire body like tiny marbles pushing up from under the skin. Some 30% of people who contract the virus die within two weeks. Those who survive are often scarred, blinded, or disfigured. Yet here in this cluttered Maryland lab were six forgotten files of the dreaded pox virus, including at least two live samples still capable of growing and infecting untold masses. During a two-year investigation into the origin of the vials, the FDA determined that they dated to February 10th, 1954, but the agency couldn't figure out how or why they ended up in a cold storage room at the NIH. The incident triggered a government-wide search for other dangerous materials that may have been overlooked and led to revisions in the FDA's policies on the storage of infectious agents. The 60-year-old smallpox strains were destroyed under the watch of the World Health Organization officials. So the existence of the vials raised another chilling possibility. Could smallpox make a comeback? If these samples were left behind, who knows how many others could remain? The U.S. maintains enough of the smallpox vaccine to protect all 328 million Americans, but in the decades since the disease was eradicated, scientists have discovered that several groups of people, those with HIV, pregnant women, newborns, and cancer survivors among them, are at risk for complications from the vaccine, such as heart inflammation and brain infections. It's likely that most of these people would be advised to avoid taking a remedy, as would anyone sharing a home with them. Given those significant limitations, Many health officials and researchers believe there's a pressing need for a better smallpox vaccine. So then the article goes into how this scientist, Evans, he works at uh, Alberta, in Alberta, Canada University. He's, he's a worldwide expert on pox viruses. Uh, he gets together with this guy, Lederman, Evans and Lederman. So he gets together with Lederman. Lederman's the CEO of a pharmaceutical company. Lederman gives him $200,000 to see if he can recreate smallpox in the lab. Um, and then uh, Evans, the professor and expert, in a Hail Mary attempt to defend against potential bioengineered viruses, Evans and his research associate did something unthinkable. They revived an extinct cousin of smallpox called horsepox under using mail-order DNA. 
So the Frankensteinian act uh, stirred outrage among the international scientific community, which cast Evans as the Walter White of synthetic biology. Despite the fury he provoked, Evans has no regrets. Better he be the first to resurrect the, these deadly specters, the virologist maintains, than someone with nefarious intentions. Nothing will stop the state actor or technically sophisticated country that decides to want to do this, Evans adds, so better to be prepared. So smallpox was eradicated about 40 years ago. So in an act of Cold War diplomacy, it was decided that two samples remaining on Earth of smallpox would be held onto. One in Atlanta at the CDC. Hotlanta, y'all, shout out. And the other one in Siberia. So one in Russia, one in America. And the World Health Organization keeps tabs on these two samples to make sure that, you know, they're secure. In 2001, Evans joined the WHO's Scientific Advisory Committee on Smallpox. The aim for many of the group was for Russia and the U.S. to destroy those final samples of smallpox for good. The hope and expectation was that committee would say, yep, we're all done. They've dealt with all the research goals. You can close it down in autoclave viruses. An autoclave, by the way, is just a machine that gets super hot and uses steam to kill viruses. The following year, however, an experiment by scientists at the State University of New York at Stony Brook suggested that simply destroying the samples might not be enough. On July 11, 2002, the researchers revealed that they had synthesized the polio virus, which had been wiped out in the U.S in 1979. It was the first time a virus had been created from scratch with synthetic DNA. The work was funded by the Pentagon in order to establish whether terrorists could pull off such a feat. The answer was yes. It took the Sunni researchers three years to cobble the virus together using mail-order DNA and genetic sequences referenced from an online public database. The experiment's surprise success raised the possibility of a cyberpunk-style era of bio-warfare and the possibility that an exponentially deadlier disease smallpox could be cooked up in a lab through the science of synthetic biology. Uh, for Evans, the study proved that no virus could truly be considered extinct. I said, yeah, well, there's the writing on the wall for people concerned with eradicating smallpox, he recalls. After polio's revival, he was one of the first to warn the WHO about the potential resurrection of smallpox, but his warnings fell on deaf ears. Though Evans comes across as measured scientists, his frustrations were mounting. He felt like Chicken Little and feared that action would, wouldn't be taken until it was too late. Buying samples of synthetic DNA is surprisingly easy. The trade is overseen by the International Gene Synthesis Consortium, an industry-led group that works with government agencies to screen orders and buyers but such oversight can't prevent someone from purchasing hazardous DNA samples on the black market. A cursory search online brings up dozens of sources for samples from China, Germany, and beyond. China is, quote, kind of notorious for having unregulated pharmaceutical companies, right? Evan says Chinese biohackers could, quote, be quite capable of running an unregulated DNA synthesis com company in Wuhan, perhaps? I'm kidding, but it's kind of interesting to read this in our current context, isn't it? 2015, thanks in part to research by Evans and his colleagues in synthetic biology, public health advisors issued a report warning of smallpox potential return. With the increasing availability of DNA fragments that can be synthesized from simple chemicals, it would be possible to recreate variola virus, the report found, and that can be done by a skilled laboratory technician or by undergraduate students working with viruses in a relatively simple laboratory. The following year, the U.S. National Intelligence Director at the time, James Clapper cited bioengineered pandemics as one of his agency's biggest concerns. The Worldwide Threat Assessment Report added genome editing to its appraisal of current weapons of mass destruction and proliferation alongside North Korea's nukes, Syria's chemical weapons, and Russia's cruise missiles. As Bill Gates warned in 2017 at the Munich Security Conference, the next epidemic could originate on the screen of a terrorist intent on using genetic engineering to create a synthetic version of the smallpox virus. If that wasn't enough, a disturbing mystery emerged out of Russia. The Siberian Times reported in early 2017 that Professor Ilya Drozdov, um, the 63-year-old microbiologist who ran the state research facility where Russia's sole small 
Fox sample is held vanished from his hometown of Saratov in southwestern Russia. No further information has been made public. A WHO spokeswoman said it was not in the organization's, quote, mandate to confirm or deny the existence of an investigation. Um, Zdratovutje? Hello? Yeah... Then there's a little graphic. It says synthetic bioweapons. How worried should we be about warring countries or terrorists turning synthetic viruses, bacteria, and microbes into bioweapons? For some doomsday scenarios, the creation of, say, a wholly manufactured monster mashup of bad viruses, the answer is not very. But there are still plenty to freak out about. Last year, the U.S. Department of Defense commissioned a report from biosecurity and synthetic biology experts to assess the threats. Here are some of their most urgent warnings ranked by concern level. Revived viruses, highest threat. A bioterrorist armed with basic lab equipment and online databases filled with genetic blueprints for deadly viruses could conceivably recreate a fatal disease like smallpox or the Spanish flu. Uh, COVID anyone? Illnesses with relatively small genomes like polio are easier to resurrect than more genetically complex diseases like smallpox or herpes. Microbiome interlopers is also highest level of threat. Microorganisms inhabit our guts, mouths, and skin and could help us in many ways. Uh, and they do help us in many ways. A rogue microbe slipped into the mix could, in theory, cause our good bugs to produce harmful chemicals. In practice, this would be really hard to do, but the novelty of this technique put it in the list of top concerns. Another of the top concerns, souped-up bacteria. Because their genomes are more stable, bacteria tend to be easier to modify the viruses. While you might not be able to get the building blocks for a deadly pathogen, like the one that causes anthrax from a mail-order genetics company, you could modify a more benign bacterium to make it resistant to antibiotics or able to produce more toxins. Okay, this is high on the list uh, after highest. Mutated viruses. Introducing mutations into a virus's genome almost always leads to a gentler form of the bug. That's how a vaccine for measles was created. But scary stuff could also be made. In 2014, researchers found that just five mutations could transform an avian flu into an airborne virus, making it far more likely to spread, at least among ferrets. As I've stated before, airborne transmission, as opposed to other forms of transmission like droplets... Um, or uh, touching contaminated surfaces. Airborne transmission means it's hanging in the air, just walking into that room where that air is and breathing like we tend to like to do uh, could expose you. So it's the most dangerous and communicable form of transmission. Surgical masks do not prevent or protect you from airborne transmission of a virus. Only an N95 respirator properly fitted will protect you from those virus particles being inhaled. Modified immune systems, medium level threat. It might be possible to develop and deliver a specially engineered virus or chemical capable of suppressing the body's defenses or turning them against it. However, the human immune system is highly complex and we still don't fully understand it, making manipulation difficult. The arduous job of assembling the horse pox genome fell to Evans Research Associate, a young microbiologist named Ryan Noyce. Okay, that's the guy that took him 18 months to, to recreate this uh, close cousin of smallpox, the horse pox. And he did. He did recreate it. Now, the trio published their findings. That's Lederman, Evans, and the research assessment. They published it in the journal PLOS One in January 2018. The blowback was swift and brutal. Critics accused Evans and Noyce of, that's the assistant, of opening a Pandora's box that could send humanity back to the dark ages of disease. The Washington Post editorial board wrote that, quote, the study could give terrorists or rogue states a recipe to reconstitute the smallpox virus. Tom Inglesby, director of the Center for Health Security at John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, denounced the research on national public radio. Quote, anything that lowers the bar for creating smallpox in the world is a dangerous path. Uh, Gregory Koblenz, director of the biodefense program at George Mason University, warned in the journal Health Security that the synthesis of horsepox, quote, takes the world one step closer to the reemergence of smallpox as a threat to global health security. 
The PLOS One paper also triggered calls for tighter regulation. Elizabeth Cameron, Vice President of Global Biological Policy and Programs for the Nuclear Threat Initiative, a nonprofit that works to prevent attacks by weapons of mass destruction, issued an ominous warning that, quote, the capability to create and modify biological agents is outpacing governmental oversight and public debate. For now, synthesizing viruses, Evans and Noyce have, requires a high level of expertise. But while such a feat might be difficult to achieve, even Evans admits that, quote, you make it more accessible to people simply by letting them know it can be done. The research papers seem to spur the federal government to shore up its defenses against the threat that someone could create and unleash a synthetic virus. In June, the, this is, member this is 2019, the U.S. National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine released a 231-page study warning that even existing viruses like the common flu could be tweaked in a lab to evade immune responses and resist therapeutics. Several efforts are now now underway to better assess potential threats before it's too late already be too late guys i don't know um genes to protect service members from the accidental or intentional misuse of genome editing technologies uh darpa has launched an initiative called safe genes to protect service members okay the agency is trying to develop military tools to both counter and reverse the effects of synthetically created bioweapons the office of the director of national intelligence has announced its own initiative to find better methods for detecting and evaluating synthetic bioweapons the system is designed to prevent rogue actors from getting their hands on building blocks needed to make a dangerous virus to make better screening tools the government enlisted ginkgo bioworks a biotech startup founded by the group mit phds based in an old army warehouse along boston harbor ginkgo main business is making custom microbes for use in everything from sustainable agriculture to perfumes. But with its government contracts, the biotech company helped build an algorithm that can recognize any genetic sequence on the, quote, threat list of potentially harmful viruses and bacteria. The software, a literal antivirus program, would be voluntarily installed on the servers of every company that synthesizes DNA. It's like a wanted list for genetic riffraff. If somebody tries to synthesize horsepox, alarm bells go off says Patrick Boyle, Ginkgo's 34-year-old head of Codebase. At that point, the DNA company can ask questions of the buyer and, if warranted, deny the sale. Of course, even these automatic checks can't prevent determined buyers from obtaining samples through less scrupulous vendors on the black market. As with computer viruses, new strains appear from the ether before society is aware they exist. The same is true for trying to keep ahead of potentially lethal synthetic DNA. The scientists at Ginkgo never expected to be policing the DNA trade, but as tools like CRISPR allow for cheaper and easier creations of new biological organisms, technology is quickly surpassing enforcement measures. In 20 years, Boyle predicts it will be possible to synthesize smallpox from home. He likens this moment to the early days of computing when the concept of computer viruses was still new. If I was working for the U.S. government, I would have wanted to fund an effort in antivirus software in 1975. Okay, guys. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. That's almost really and truly at the end of the article that I shared with you. Just wanting to find a starting point um, before exploring that line of inquiry regarding uh, a potential man-made and uh, weaponized pathogen being an etiologic agent of Morgellons disease. Um, in the grand scheme of things, I find this to be a very unlikely explanation for, uh, the Morgulons. However, um, I think when you're searching for answers, one of the most important aspects of, uh, finding the right answer is eliminating the wrong answers. Um, and I think that, uh, it is possible for us to explore this particular, uh, line of inquiry, uh, over time, uh, as we as we go through uh, various lines of inquiry, and uh, we could we can probably rule this one out at some point as we learn more about it. I don't know. That's the whole point: <laughs> is investigating and educating ourselves to uh, better understand what 
the hell is going on with these Morgulons? <sighs> we'll get there. We will get there. I never give up. I never quit. We are champions. We are winners. Stay tuned and have a great Monday.